Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Mornings with Carmen. This is the Mornings Without Carmen edition as she's taking an extra holiday day off on this 5th of July. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for today. Carmen will be back in the host chair tomorrow morning. Delighted to be with all of you. I hope you had a wonderful 4th of July, however and wherever you celebrated yesterday. And Paul Perot, you in studio as you typically are, and I'm guessing that just given how early you have to get up, you probably did not celebrate fireworks like many of our uh, Faith Radio family would have last night. No, no, I didn't. That just gets way too late for me. We were thinking about, because there are some communities that'll do it earlier in the weekend, but we didn't go to either. We should have done that, but no, it was just getting too late. Yeah, I only had to do this for one morning, so we decided to stay up uh, much later last night and see some proper fireworks. I have to admit that I'm not a person who enjoys going with maybe several thousand people down to a local beach or to a park and and be with that many people on a hot, muggy sort of evening. Uh, I'll do it because I do enjoy the fireworks. But mm-hmm. um, we ended up going to a friend's house last night and somewhere in, in rural Minnesota. You will not Parts name unknown the location. Because I don't know what the noise and the light ordinances are supposed to be in that neck of the woods. But if you told me this gentleman in his home, a neighbor down the street of one of our friends, spent upwards of $10,000 on a fireworks display, I would not be surprised. So I'm still rubbing Crazy. the smoke out of my eyes from, a, <laughs> from about nine <laughs> hours ago uh, where the fireworks were, were, they were proper fireworks and they're exploding right overhead. It, it is a delight to celebrate the birth of our nation. And in that version, I know that, you know, as a society, we're having a lot of conversations about how and when and what was the moral ambiguity of starting our nation. But it is still nice to gather mm-hmm. together and celebrate um, how we came together as a country at that time. It is. It is. Of course, the fireworks are a big thing. I was talking to you beforehand, too, about something else where some communities are starting to shift from either not doing fireworks, which is because they're expensive. They as you are mentioned. expensive. Very expensive. Especially when you have a professional crew do it. Right. Or... Going to drone displays, which are... Um, I have never heard of a... You're saying there are drones that can display some version of a light show. displays, yes. They are amazing. If you've never seen them, go to, go to YouTube and just do a search for that. They're, they are amazing. Mm. Well, some of the other traditions that happen on the 4th of July, at least in our country have to do with the annual hot dog eating contest. I can't Uh keep my eyes off of this, I have to admit. And um, there was about 150 million hot dogs consumed in Uh, the United States yesterday, 150 million. And longtime, 15-time now champion Joey Chestnut of the hot dog eating contest, I believe he crushed somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 to 65 hot dogs Mm -hmm. over a 10-minute span yesterday. I can't imagine eating two hot dogs in 10 minutes and well, somehow you could do it. You could, you could, you could, you, <laughs> no, I could do like 10. You could do 10 in 10 minutes. All right. Well, I wouldn't be feeling well afterwards, but I could do it. Yeah. He, he clearly did not look physically healthy yesterday as he was <laughs> holding up his trophy. I don't think I've ever seen that color on somebody's face before, but that would make sense right, in light Luke. of, yes, in light of that. But one of the more comical pieces of it that was, that, that caught my attention is after they, 
uh, did the entire story on ESPN that I was watching last night. They did just this little clip that apparently a protester in a Darth Vader mask came running up on stage, right, and, and, and he rammed himself into Joey Chestnut. But this guy was dialed in. He literally hardly took he just he took it in stride that the protester bumped into him and Joey Chestnut put him in sort of a semi World Wrestling Federation chokehold, dropped him to the ground and then went right back to the hot dogs. It was it was <laughs> it's, it's must watch YouTube videos. It was just a little stunning that somebody could be that he, he talked about being in the zone and clearly even a protester couldn't dissuade him uh-uh. from 60 plus hot dogs in 10 minutes. Oh, can't even think of it. It was quite stunning. Well, there was some sad news, uh, really devastating news, obviously yesterday too. top of the hour news covered a bit of that. And I'm going to talk about that with Nick Pitts next from the Institute of Global Engagement. But of course, a shooting and a parade in Chicago, the Highland Park area and just devastating news. So as much as we celebrated as a country yesterday, there is some profound grief and sadness. Nick Pitts will join us next to talk about that. This is Mornings with Carmen. You are listening to Faith Radio. minutes past the top of the hour here on the 5th of July. This is Mornings with Carmen. Peter Kapsner filling in for this morning and delighted to be joined by Nick Pitts uh, from the Institute of Global Engagement. And Nick covers a lot of the different headlines in our country. Good morning, Nick. Uh, Peter, great to be with you this morning. Yeah, you too. So do you think you could take down uh, 60 hot dogs in 10 minutes, Nick? Well, I have a great affinity for the hot dogs. So <laughs> I, when Paul was disparaging it earlier, I, I, I was shouting uh, through the phone, hopefully breaking through the mute. I like uh, hot dogs. Voice my displeasure. Uh, I like hot dogs. They are the quintessential American. I mean, it's just this smorgasbord of mystery meat that we have dressed <laughs> up and thoroughly enjoy in a variety of different ways. You just can't you can't become more. Amer- There's nothing more American than that. No. And then we have a champion that has won 10 plus championships in a row. And then a protester protester tries to take him down. I mean, it's just there couldn't have been a more patriotic moment yesterday <laughs> than in Coney Island. It was definitely epic theater yesterday, and Paul certainly lost a fair amount of credibility with his disparaging oh, of the hot dogs, as you I said. I mean, who, who doesn't like a cylinder of meat, of, ma- of meat mashup, the origin of which is probably doesn't bear to be thought about? But there were, some, uh, there were some troubling headlines and obviously a very troubling situation out of Chicago yesterday, Nick. It's not in my show notes. It's, I'm sure it wasn't in your prep notes because it happened uh, after we were getting ready for the show, but there are some details emerging from this that it just, you know, it's, it's hard to even know how to process this. What are you seeing in the story? Yeah, again, I feel like it's, a, it's the same um, kind of same thing we've always hear. Kind of the, the twist that we're starting to see is that this is just a troubled um, 20-year-old. I'm not going to say his name to give him the glory that he wanted because mm. uh, there was, um, there's now been evidence found that he linked him. He was glorifying some of the other previous mass shooters that this country has had to endure, and um, he was another one of those. You know, uh, and 
historically there's been uh, it's been known as the sleepwalker myth it's not necessarily the enemy from outside but the enemy inside that has the ability to do lasting damage and there's always been this type of uh, individual um, that's known as the sleepwalker myth well this individual um, from yesterday uh, went by that he was a rapper an amateur rapper he went by the name of awake um, and so you see the sleeping connection there and just again just middle child troubled mentally video has been released of him uh with some of his music videos as a rapper just again seeing it put vividly on display in great technology and just just tragically left wondering one how to continue to lift up and pray for the families that of those that have lost and then two continue to figure out what are what are some of those ways that we can strengthen our community ties in order that we might not perpetuate this thing again yeah, and there's all the indications that he was quite a, tr- a troubled young man. Um, again, very few people in their troubledness end up at this level of violence. But we are talking about an epidemic of, of a mental health crisis here, Nick. And I've been talking at length with different people that I know and, and, and church leaders and people involved in, in various forms of ministry. And I think specifically for young men, when you have, uh, there's many different uh, factors and variables into this, but among them, would be something that creates disassociation, meaning they're just a sort of this disconnect between themselves and the world, and uh, and you, you get really inward looking and uh, things like pornography and and mass video game usage, as well as uh, the epidemic of fatherlessness. These things are creating a generation uh, uh, that is contributing to the mental health crisis, and this is maybe the worst version of this, right? Where they just don't have the normal guardrails around them and their input. Uh, what they do day in and day out really does create some of this disassociation that leads to these crises. Yeah, I completely agree. There's, and I think what I really want to emphasize is there's this rush to be able to find one particular cause that uh, that triggered this particular event. So some would say that it's just uh, the prevalence of guns or the availability of guns is what caused this. Others would say that it's video games or, or something of that matter. And the reality of the matter is it's a very... Uh, uh, Big problems very rarely have easy solutions, and this is a significant and tragic problem in which there are a variety of factors and causes, like you've said, the loneliness um, and the mental health problems that we have. And then you've got um, a like this fraying of the social fabric where individuals aren't tied in with other organizations to give people purpose and perseverance in, this, in their spirits and, and girding them with men with chess, as C.S. Lewis would say. You just have a variety of different factors that have caused this breakdown that's going to require us just to address this, not with one fell swoop, but with a variety of different ways. Yeah, you used a word there, Nick, uh, loneliness, that I think is a big factor as well. And I appreciate that you're talking about there's so many different variables involved. So we, we have to avoid reducing it down to one specific thing. But uh, in a country that is celebrating, as we should, the, our heritage of individualism, where we have the opportunity to have autonomy and empowerment and freedom, those things should be celebrated. But when they get taken too far and we get disconnected from relationships with one another, this is maybe some of the result is is this epidemic of loneliness. It's a it's a two-sided coin. Yesterday we celebrated freedom from, um, freedom from tyranny, freedom from persecution, freedom from taxation without representation relative to Great Britain. Um, but the other side of the coin isn't just freedom from, but it's also freedom to. What are we utilizing our freedom to be able to do? To We, we cherish our rights in this country, but what's our duty to this country? And the tragedy mixed with the celebration of yesterday reminds us yet again that we've been given a great freedom from 
those those forces uh, of tyranny and persecution. But we also have to ask ourselves the question of what is our duty to our fellow man, our neighbor, um, in order that not only that we might be strengthened so that we can uh, pursue after our own uh, pursue after our own happiness, but also how can we contribute to and add to the happiness of the country as a whole. Yeah, talking to Nick Pitts, he's a fellow for the Institute for Global Engagement, and I think one of the encouragements maybe we can take away from this is that it, when, when you spot loneliness around you, just just engage and move towards. I think people are desperate for that human attention and affection. Nick, when we come back in just a minute, we'll change the conversation to a pretty interesting Supreme Court ruling that limited the EPA's power um, to to somehow curb carbon emissions. And that's going to have some pretty big implications, not just for our current status as a country, but I think the next generation really is rebelling against that. So we'll get your thoughts next here on Mornings Without Carmen. Back with Nick Pitts from the Institute of Global Engagement. Nick, I saw that the Supreme Court basically finished their docket for this year uh, with a pretty significant ruling uh, that's going to relate to environment, climate change, uh, sustainable energy, just that entire category. What did we see in this headline? Yeah, so on Thursday, Supreme Court ruled against Environmental Protection Agency's effort to regulate power plant emissions, really um, um, kind of uh, thwarting some of the efforts and some of the tools that the Biden administration has available to them relative to addressing climate change. And But at the center of this, though, wasn't the Supreme Court saying that we are for or against efforts to mitigate against climate change. Really, it was really was a, a striking decision to be able to address what powers does the executive branch have and what powers does the legislative branch have. So there was this the delineation and the, and the further reminder of the separation of powers. And so in his opinion, um, uh, Chief Justice Roberts wrote for the majority, he said, quote, capping carbon dioxide emissions at a level that will force a nationwide transition away from the use of coal to generate electricity is maybe a sensible solution to the crisis today. But he went on to say, quote, a decision of such magnitude and consequences rests with Congress itself. And so um, really making clear that this this isn't a ruling for or against climate change. This is a ruling for Congress having the authority solely to be able to measure, uh, to be able to produce some of those measures that um, heretofore the executive branch was utilizing. Yeah, I think that's so important how you're nuancing and, and actually highlighting really where this conversation is, because it's the same situation and dynamic involved in the overturning of Roe versus Wade. It did not make abortion illegal, like some people are shouting. It just returned those decisions back to the state. So this is a tug of war between how much uh, power states should have versus how much centralized power we should have in our country more than it is um, uh, this this moral debate. It really is a philosophical one at its core. But people are are certainly taking it and going a different direction. Why do we do that, Nick? Why why is it just for political gain and, and, and sound bites that we change the conversation the way that we do, as opposed to locating it where it actually is? Yeah, you know, there's a, there's a variety. I think there's a variety of different reasons why there's um, why individuals want to want the executive branch to be able to leverage their power. But I think one of the reminders that we take from uh, just some of the founding fathers, for example, uh, James Madison, Federalist 47, he said the accumulation of powers, legislative, executive, and judiciary in the same hands, whether of one, a few, or a many, whether hereditary, self-appointed, or elective, may justly uh, be pronounced the very definition of tyranny. Um, There's just 
there's we all have the natural built-in will to power and it's these separation of powers that really do help us to be able to um as the bible would say within the council of advisors right and um, plans will prosper it's this uh, understanding of we're not wanting all power to be in one particular set of hands but really to be able to to share that so that there might be counsel brought into it and hopefully prosperity that comes from it. One of the uh, concerns and even critiques of the overturning of Roe versus Wade, at least sending it back to the states, was that then that would create pathways or precedent that more cases would fall along these kinds of lines, including uh, things like gay marriage. But now we also see Alabama citing the abortion ruling in a trans medicine case. This was an interesting headline. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so to go back to the, the Dobbs ruling, which relative to abortion, what we saw there is that, um, yes, Justice Thomas did mention in his um, did mention in his opinion the idea of maybe uh, considering, again, uh, the constitutional right to contraception, et cetera. But then in the majority opinion um, and the ruling, it was very clear that Justice Alito came forward and said, this is not going to address same-sex marriage. This is not going to address some of those issues um, that were touched upon earlier. So we, we saw Justice Thomas, who we know is probably has the most originalist position on the court um, and is pretty um, lonely, I guess would say, out there. But from the majority opinion, we saw um, address that they aren't going to address that. This is not a decision to do that. But what's happening in Alabama right now is um, very clear that states are being empowered to do what they have always been tasked to do, which is be little laboratories of democracy um, to be able to craft laws um, that may not be suitable or amenable to the people of say Vermont, but are amenable to the ways and means of the people of Mississippi. And people in Mississippi have the opportunity to be able to vote in or vote out those individuals every uh, every elective cycle. And so um, what we're saying is these people are just being representative of uh, the constituency that brought them there. Yeah. And Nick, it's when, when you consider some of the fallout again of this Roe versus Wade overturning, one of the maybe more distinctively kingdom Christian angles that we can talk about here is that we should celebrate, I think, the the overturning of this in terms of what it means mm-hmm. just on a macro basis, legally for our country and the morality involved with it. But when you look at the stats, the reason why we ended up with Roe versus Wade decision in the 1970s is because of changing sexual norms in the 1960s that allowed for much greater sexual promiscuity. And, and clearly abortion, the conversation can get into the moral ambiguities of rape and incest in the the life of the child or the mother at risk. And those are really important, rigorous, vibrant debates that we need to have. But most abortions still are abortions of convenience, well well over 90%. And when you look at evangelical young people entering into young adulthood, it's somewhere north of 70% of them have engaged in some kind of sexual activity. So as much as we celebrate the the overturning of Roe versus Wade as Christians, might not some of the, the conversation really be around the change in sexual norms and, and coming around young people to help them understand why waiting or, or why not getting involved in sexual activity prior to marriage? Completely agree, Peter. This is a this is a great opportunity now that we've had such a great um, uh, legal victory in the pro life cause. Now it's the opportunity for us to be able to make abortion unthinkable from a from a cultural standpoint. There are certain things that cannot be legislated within the human heart, and so how do we begin to think through, create a a, a culture in which abortion is unthinkable and not just illegal and providing like I'm thinking about um, in National Review that came up. They proposed this idea of we need a Marshall plan for the pro for a pope 
uh, post-row world. And that's doing everything from um, passing the Pregnancy Fair, fair Pregnancy Workers Fairness Act, which is preventing employers from discriminating against women who are pregnant or for pregnancy-related issues. Make creating environments that are conducive for children um, and for parents to be able to raise children, and then coupled with that for parents to be able to raise children in such a way that they might we might continue to see the decline of teen pregnancies and pregnancy out of wedlock. I love that phrase, Nick. The Marshall Plan for how did you say that? The Marshall Plan yeah. for yeah, um, say that again. Mar- yeah, Marshall a Marshall Plan for a post row world. Mm. There's um, what they what they outline is is ten different policy prescriptions that really are getting at the heart. Because as we all know, and as researchers shown at Notre Dame, um, uh, someone doesn't someone doesn't get an abortion for a single cause. That's a, a small minority. Um, but usually, there's two particular reasons that put it over the majority for people. One, it's the partner to its lack of finances. And so how do we begin to address that particular issue where individuals are lacking a partner um, um, because we just don't have the ideal or two, they lack the finances? How can the church continue? Because one of the greatest things that the American church is doing right now is the pregnancy centers that are offering uh, help to these women in need, reminding them of just the power and the strength that they have to be able to do this and the beauty that can come from it. Mm -hmm. How can we them from a policy prescription standpoint. Yeah, I love that, Nick. We've got to leave the conversation right there, but uh, I'm going to ask you off the air in just a minute uh, where people can access that information. But so appreciate uh, what you brought to the table here as we start on the 5th of July mornings with Carmen. Have a great rest of the day. Uh, you as well. We'll reset here in just a moment and preview is coming up in the second half of this first hour this morning. This is Faith Radio. I love what Nick Pitts just had to say there called a Marshall plan for the post row world. Is that how he said that? The Marshall plan, the Marshall for, plan post- for a post row world. Yes. Yeah. I think it's so important that we don't just uh, stop all of this with uh, what had been a 50 year or so mm-hmm. effort to overturn Roe versus Wade. And, and of course, I think that should be celebrated and the morality of that should be celebrated. But now we're dealing with the fallout of that. And, right. and so often it's after big family events, personal events, national events, business events, you, you name it, that that event happens. But oftentimes people don't do a great job of picking up the pieces from there. And this is really where we have an opportunity as churches, what I say, to to rebuild an infrastructure of sexuality, to recognize how it changed so much and so mm-hmm. significantly in the 1960s. And we're still, we have a straight line from the 1960s to where we are today, when you start looking at the constant evolution over these right. last 60 years, that to, to restore a healthy sexuality, I think would be a wonderful starting place. And the church has a great opportunity to do that right now in light of these conversations. In light of this and so many other conversations we've had, because there's so many people, when you think of the increasing number of young people who transition and are detransition and they're kind of going, my body's been wrecked. Yeah. Um, we, as the church, have a humongous opportunity to welcome in, shall we say, the refugee of the sexual revolution, or I'll call it what you wish it. There's so many hurt lives right now. There are. And the church has such an awesome opportunity to extend God's grace. We need to grab that. I think that's so important, to, to lead with grace and then follow up with truth, not as a hammer, but the kind of truth that actually is a truth not filled with empty promises. There's been so much 
by way of empty promises being cast mm-hmm. around in terms of if you do X, Y, and Z, you'll finally be happy and healthy. And we're seeing the exact opposite. So this is a great opportunity for us to reestablish the wonder, beauty, and sacredness of sexual activity, uh, not just to, as a witness in the church, but for the, the generations moving forward. Well, up next in the second half of this hour, we'll be joined by Luke Moon of the Felis Project. And we're going to talk a bit about Finland and Sweden uh, wanting to become part of NATO in light of the Russian-Ukrainian war. The wise men will bow down before the throne, and at his feet they'll cast their golden crowns. Not such cool walk-up music. That is the walk-up music of Luke Moon, Philos Project, Providence Magazine. Do a great job covering headlines, global headlines uh, from a Christian worldview. Good morning, Luke. Good morning. Great to you? yeah, great to hear your voice again. Uh, a number of headlines from around the world. Let's start with Finland and Sweden becoming part of NATO. It sounds like there is uh, quite a bit of back and forth about whether they would maintain their historic neutrality. Um, but uh, clearly, Vladimir Putin has said that. He's really fighting a consortium of NATO, and and now NATO looks like it might be growing. Yeah, it looks like they will. I mean, the application takes about a year, and all of the NATO countries have to agree. I mean, NATO is really a defensive uh, pact. You know, if you if you you know attack one, you you're essentially attacking them all, and all of them agree uh, to join in. You know, it requires three uh, percent of you know your GDP spent on on uh, military, which actually a lot of NATO countries aren't doing that. But really the holdout has been uh, Turkey's threat to veto. And they wanted to veto because uh, there are a couple of of Kurdish political slash terrorist organizations that have safe haven in Sweden particularly. Uh, and and uh, there has been an agreement to uh, extradite 73 uh, members uh, that are considered terrorists by by uh, Turkey, and Sweden has tentatively agreed to that. Whether you know it will all in the end work out, this remains to be seen. But it you know it's 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 not. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, you know, for because Putin didn't want to have Ukraine join NATO. He invaded he invaded Ukraine, and and now uh, NATO expands even more aggressively on his border uh, with Finland, uh, obviously, and then and then Sweden close behind. So it'd be very interesting. So Turkey holding the right to veto these applications. What you're saying is they are um, hold, they're dragging their feet a bit to extract some concessions that they see would be important for their country. Yeah, I mean, it really, I mean, the, there's two like political slash terrorist organizations. One is uh, the YPG and the other is the PKK. The PKK is is actually seen by the United States as a terrorist organization as well. And so, it, you know, they, they do a lot of, they do some pretty bad stuff um, in, in you know, I mean, they really were after Turkey or Kurdish independence. Uh, you know, remember back in the day, like five years ago, when we all were thought, oh, there might be a Kurdistan. Well, uh, the PKK was was involved, kind of, you know, as a terrorist organization on that front, and they have the the leaders of the PKK uh, live in Sweden, uh, and and that is a, a point of contention for obviously for for Turkey, which you know has been the the 
primary victim of uh, the PKK's activities. And correct me if I'm wrong, but did not the United States support the Kurds at at certain points in in some of the different Middle Eastern wars? And and is that causing any kind of tension in all of this political theater as well? Well, yeah, I mean, the U.S. has been there was a point in which, you know, it was really possible that that Kurdistan would have been created, but, you know, towards the you know, after ISIS and, you know, after ISIS was being kind of put back in a box, um, there there was a point in which the U.S. could have recognized an independent Kurdistan uh, in Iraq, and the U.S. chose not to do that. Um, and the, the Kurds unilaterally claimed independence anyways, and were promptly, like, smacked down by by. Iraq and also by Turkey and Iran, which also have uh, Kurdish populations. And so it doesn't look like, you know, that really is an issue anymore. At least I haven't seen any, any, uh, you know, really bubble up since then. It's really more, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those issues. If there's, you know, the head of terrorist organization has safety in your country, that could, that could be a you know a point of contention. You want to make some extract extract some uh, some benefits for agreeing to defend. I mean, it really what they're. I mean, if 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 uh, Sweden joins NATO and Turkey, you know, and, and Sweden gets attacked, Turkey has to send you know weapons and soldiers to defend Sweden, right? So it does it does matter. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, we're all friends and all, but you do want to make sure you have some, some, you know, some extraction benefit from this agreement. Hmm. Talking with Luke Moon from the Philos Project, Providence Magazine. And Luke, it uh, brings up one more question just in general about how one approaches the news. And in light of what you're talking about with what Turkey wants to see happen and Finland and NATO and, and concessions and power plays, uh, I know when I lived in Scotland for a period of time, there's a, a barber franchise called the Turkish Barber, and I would regularly go there to get my head shaved by barbers who grew up in the Turkey, uh, maybe Istanbul area. And it was at a time when the Kurds were being supported by the United States, but they said they couldn't stand the Kurdish people because of the terrorism that they were inflicting in their country. And so at the point of that is not who was right, but that there were competing narratives going on. How, how does a person faithfully approach the news um, recognizing that there's going to be multiple angles and multiple spins going on. Well, that was, I mean, largely the the purpose of creating Providence. Providence, you know, is is the magazine of Christian realism, and Christian realism is a you know school of foreign policy uh, where you you know you have a realistic view of the world, meaning that you know there are. There are nations that are playing uh, that that have their own self-interest. Uh, every nation operates primarily on the basis of self-interest, um, and recognizing that also that there is a spiritual dimension to this world, meaning that there is a you know there, there's a God who is who is at play here, uh, who who recognizes. Uh, and, and uses nations to achieve his purposes uh, that, you know, uh, humanity has fallen. And because of that, uh, we will make choices on the basis of our fallen nature. 
right? And so you got to, you know, it's there. The, the the other school perhaps is is the idealist school, which is that you know oh you know things are going to get better and and we you know we just got to pick the right ingredients off the shelf and 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 bake it with the right uh, temperature and then we'll have world peace hmm. or we'll have the international institutions the United Nations and all these things that, that that'll solve our the world's problems and and I think you know that's kind of utopian. And it doesn't fit with reality. And I think, you know, the, the, the traditional school of realism tends to be actually quite brutal. You, you know, it's, it's pure uh, Machiavellian, you know, power politics. And it doesn't matter, you know, how other people suffer as long as we get what we want kind of thing. And, and Christian realism sees that as being, um, well, brutal. Mm. So. Yeah, I think that's so helpful. What you just said about nations—they they act in their own self-interest. And as a person who has studied history from time to time, and I'm sure many people in our faith radio family study even more than any of the three of us here uh, this morning that are on air, will recognize that there hasn't been a nation in the history of the world that hasn't acted primarily in its own self-interest, which is why God's kingdom is so different, because it's meant to act according to the interests of others. And this is where the Christian witness finds itself. In the midst of all of this, we need to step away for just a moment. When we come back, Luke, let's talk a little bit about the human trafficking crisis that is originating uh, because of the refugee crisis as people are leaving Ukraine and heading into Poland. Again, this is Peter Kapsner, and you're listening to Faith Radio. It's about 15 minutes before the top of the hour. We're chatting with Luke Moon from Providence Magazine. And Luke, uh, there's quite the human trafficking crisis as people are exploiting taking advantage of these very vulnerable refugees that are needing to leave the Ukrainian war and head into Poland. And of course we see some of the worst of human behavior intersect with this um, tough stuff. Yeah. I mean, that it, it's, it's a prime spot. I mean, really anytime there is a major conflict, there's always a spike in human trafficking and, and particularly the kind of human trafficking uh, that we're talking about here is, 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 Primarily sexual sexual exploitation, because you know there's there's human trafficking for the purpose of labor exploitation, but the kind we're talking about is is sexual exploitation. And and you know I fought human trafficking for for about five years, and I the the thing that got me going was that it was back in the day when when um, there were peacekeepers in the Balkans, uh, and and uh, a lot of the peacekeepers were were both trafficking in women and also had like sex slaves it was quite ridiculous and and um so since then there's been a lot of change in uh policies related to um you know nato has a zero tolerance policy towards human trafficking also the eu uh, the united states state department is very aggressive in fighting uh human trafficking but it's it's you know, it's one of those things where you have uh, the primary people who are being uh, are, are refugees uh, fleeing the Ukraine because basically Ukraine said everybody who every able bodied male needs to stay back and fight um, were, were women and children and women and children can get, you know, it's it it actually doesn't take a lot uh, to to get a person. Uh, in, you know, into a situation where where that becomes uh, a, a sy- systemic problem for them, and and you know it, it, it 
the real challenge is, you know, we, we seem to be not having aggressive stance towards trafficking uh, in general, um, you know, in the world, really in the, in, you know, in, in the last several years, I think, uh, because it's, you know, the, the, the model of kind of open borders allows for not just the free flow of labor, but also all the people who want to do bad stuff across those borders uh, have a lot more freedom. I mean, the, the thing that I back when I was fighting human trafficking, my it, to me, it was a business model. Right. If, if you know, you, you a girl's bought in Sarajevo and sold in Amsterdam. Right. And if you can make it cost two hundred thousand dollars instead of one hundred thousand dollars, it becomes more expensive on the back end. And, um, you know, and and forcing and, and the points in which I had the most opportunity to provide to, to to throw sand in the gears of that was at borders between one country and another country and and because border crossings you know somebody looks at you kind of thing and when you don't have when you have the kind of free and open borders it tends to allow for that exploitation to to flourish even more so at ground zero of this human trafficking um, crisis, and, and certainly there are more and more ministries popping up that are attempting to intercede and, and interject themselves into this, uh, you having been there for several years. So was it a combination, uh, like you said, of, of helping close down the borders and just simply making it not as profitable for the traffickers on one end? Uh, were you also having any kind of luck or success or were you even focused on uh, bringing people out of the trafficking uh, towards the rehabilitation? Yeah, I mean, it was basically the well, what I was doing, you know, basically the last major initiative I did was tracing the human trafficking routes through Europe. And so I had teams of people who were scanning the dark web and and seeing what the routes were that that traffickers were using and trying to inter, interject into some of those border crossings, uh, like basically policies that would allow you know, there, there to be some kind of interjection into that. Um, and it, cause it was, I mean, it's obviously a moral issue. Uh, you know, it's, it's wrong. It's a sin. Any exploitation of anybody's a sin, but the people who are doing it aren't, aren't, I mean, the, both on the practitioner side and both in the trafficking side are not in it from it's they're, they're not moral or not being moral. Right. And so to me, it was like, if I can make it, it's, it's a business model. And if you can make it cost more, people, less people will participate because, you know, less people buy Mercedes Benz than Honda Civics. Right. And so it, it, it was very much in the realm of of making making it cost more. But also, you know, where we we would roll into a city, we'd we'd you know, go to the red light district and, and go around on the streets and and then and uh, meet. Uh, prostitutes and talk to them about opportunities to to leave um, and and we had halfway houses available we had ministries that were working with us uh, that would help them get off the streets so. and Luke, when you and in that battle was there some sort of ground zero from which so many of these trafficking organizations emerge or are they just sort of a loose network at all do they come from all parts of the world I guess when you get into into these really um, ground zero areas, what were you finding? Well, I mean, I mean, any, like I said, anytime you have a major conflict zone, what you have is not only you have obviously the, the 
do-gooder organization showing up, but you have a lot of people who are going to take advantage. At, like, you know, we gave what 400 or, or $40 billion to, to Ukraine. And, you know, it was, I, I once met a guy who was sold, selling tents uh, during, uh, during, during the Iraq crisis with, he was selling tents to the UN uh, and a canvas tent. He was selling them for, for $15,000 each. And it cost him about $150. Mm. Right. So he was, I mean, I, I would say that he, that was a form of exploitation, but he, you know, he was making, he was, he was getting rich off of the, off of the refugee crisis that was happening in Iraq. And you have the same thing happening on the border with Ukraine and, and, and Poland. There are people getting rich off, off both the, you know, just the exploitation of suffering, uh, whether it's on the, on the, you know, the human trafficking side or whether it's on the, on the, you know, taking advantage of the need for the purchase of lots of, you know, food and medicine and that kind of thing. And it just, it, it, you know, in, in those places, you have the opportunity and you witness some of the most beautiful uh, displays of human compassion towards other humans, but you also witness um, just the, the, you know, depravity of humanity uh, in, in some of the darkest ways possible. Talking with Luke Moon from Providence Magazine. This is Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmen. This morning, and Luke, a similar headline, but a little bit more local now, is uh, we saw the Supreme Court ending Remain in Mexico policy that was instituted by President Trump. Uh, and this might have some implications for our own borders in the ways that you described. So take us into this story a bit. Well, yeah, the Remain in Mexico was a person who was seeking asylum uh, had to basically, as the as they would imagine, remain in Mexico while they processed the application. Uh, and the asylum seekers, you know, one of the one of the things was that, you know, you have asylum seekers who are who are walking across four borders for walking past, you know, if, if they were and claiming they were, you know, in severe harm if they remained in their own country and and they would skip over three or four countries in order to get to the United States to claim asylum. Well, you know, why not claim asylum in the three other countries you walk through? and and so that was the argument made by uh, the, the the Trump administration, and the Biden administration didn't want that, and they they asked the Supreme Court to allow them to to change the law or change the policy. It was a it was a policy under the Trump administration, and and according to the Supreme Court, ruled in in Biden's favor, and and I mean. Honestly, rightly so, because it is the executive branch's decision to set policy on immigration. Um, but nonetheless, what it what it does is, though, it just one more, uh, you know, data point in in it. What's clearly an uninterested uh, in stemming the tide of of illegal immigrants coming across the southern border, and and I think. To the, it's it's actually one of the reasons why I, I don't think the U.S. is that committed to stopping human trafficking because we're watching it every day. I mean, in you know, two million people in in 2020 crossed the southern border illegally, um, and and it's how many of those were were women and children 
who were in in the I mean that whole process was a was a trafficking operation, and it's not and and that's not just sexual exploitation trafficking. It's also labor exploitation. I mean, it's like you know they're 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 coming across and 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 uh, you know they they can work in very hazardous industries and they have no legal recourse if they get injured. Um, you know, and if, and, and, you know, they break a leg or something like that, they can't work. They have no benefits. Um, and they, you know, so they, they just suffer. And I think it's, it's an, it's, I think the, our immigration system in the United States is, is completely broken. And the, the remain Mexico policy was a good one, but it would, you know, it's the, the administration, the Biden administration has a different view towards towards immigration. Um, and it it's but it's one that I think is is very um, prone towards allowing uh, the exploitation of people. And I think it's terrible. Yeah, I think well said. I mean, whether you're more predisposed to sympathize with the Republican or the Democratic Party, I think in a, an objective analysis of what's going on the border means that we probably need to have some different kinds of policies in place just simply to help mitigate against the, this pain and profound sorrow involved in trafficking. Luke, thanks so much for taking us into some of these headlines this morning. Have a great rest of the day. Thanks. We'll wrap up hour one here in just a moment and preview what's coming up on hour two on Mornings Without Carmen. Throw me like a stone in the water Watch the mud rise up Well, that does it for Hour 1. You're going to want to go to MyFaithRadio.com and check out the Mornings with Carmen show page if you missed any of what Luke Moon had to say or Nick Pitts at the top of this hour covering so many of the different headlines from a Supreme Court's decision on the EPA to abortion rulings, trans medicine cases, uh, Turkey, Finland, NATO covered the gamut in this uh, first hour. Coming up in hour two, we're going to be joined at the top of the hour by Dr. Brett Nix of the Christian Medical and Dental Association. And we're going to talk a little bit about abortion pills and the dangers to come. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.